Well, good morning. If this is your uh, first time at Grace, my name is Derek, and it's great to have you here. We are smack dab in the middle of a series called The Good Life. And I don't know what images come to your mind when you think about the good life, but um, I wanted to show you a few pictures. Maybe um, you've thought of some of these. Do we have any we have any boat people out there? You like boating? You like the water? You enjoy that kind of thing? Yeah, we got a few. Normally, boat people make noise, and they're kind of rowdy and unruly, but you guys are very civilized. All right, so so um, here we have, this is just a very small boat. It's about a 280-foot $200 million yacht. I want, I want to know if anybody can guess whose yacht this is. Um, this, this yacht is called the Seven Seas. And um, in 2013, its owner actually took it on a trip all the way around the world. Does anybody know who owns this yacht? Pastor John? <laughs> Pastor John? No, it's not Pastor John. It's good to try. Donald Trump? No. Larry Ellison, first service guest too, yeah, and Pastor John was guest in the first service too, so that's good. Um, Dan, Snyder. Dan Snyder, no, no, um, it's, this is a uh, famous, famous movie director. Yes, it is Steven Spielberg's yacht, and um, who wouldn't say that he's living the good life in that thing? All right, let me, let me give you uh, another one. Anybody a fan of going to the beach? You like to stay in a beach house or something like that? Yeah, there we go. So here's the thing. I mean, if you're really living the good life, why just settle for Oceanside? When you can go Oceanside and Bayside at the exact same time, you can dock your $280 million yacht or whatever that was right there. And um, man, th- this is, uh, this is a, a, a place down in South Palm Beach. It goes for about, eh, about $25 million or so. Um, that's that's not bad. Who wouldn't say that this person, we don't know who they are, but this person is living the good life. All right. Any, any car enthusiasts out there? Anybody just love fast cars, man, sports cars. Okay. So um, anybody know who makes this? Ferrari? Nope. Lamborghini. This is the most expensive car in 2014. This is the Lamborghini Veneno Roadster. It, I'll, I'll let you venture a guess on the price in just a second, but it goes zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds, reaches a top speed of 221 miles an hour, and there are only nine of them that have been made in the world. Only nine. Any guesses on the sticker price? $4.5 million. And there's one selling in Germany for 7.6. So... Um, that's, that's pretty wild. Now, now, some of you are like, man, that is the good life. Well, here's the deal, man. Here's the deal. Not today. Not today. You can't drive that thing today. No, 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 no. You see, here's the thing. Th- this is a big pain today because that's going to slip around. You're going to get yourself killed in that thing today. Now, my 2001 Honda Accord... Oh, man, now that's beautiful. Man, I had no trouble on the roads, you know what I'm saying? And by the way, this thing gets like 12 miles a gallon. My Honda gets like 36. So the way I see it, man, I'm living the good life. You see, there's a, there's a lot of headache associated with this. And you know that, that beach house? I mean, you know what kind of upkeep you got to do when you're on the water? You got also, you got to repaint like every few years. I mean, look at the landscaping. I mean, you just would never stop working if you lived in that house. And how about the yacht? Do you know that Spielberg has a full-time crew of 20 
people full time to keep that sucker in tip top shape. So the way I look at it, man, that's a big hassle. I mean, this isn't a good life at all. Now, most of you are like, whoa, Derek, come on now. Come on, man. If you think that's a hassle, that's the kind of hassle I need in my life. I'd be happy to take that hassle because, see, if I had any one of those three things, I would be living the good life. Because here's the thing. You're not going to be doing all that work. If you own one of those things, what else do you have piles and piles and piles of? Oh, yeah, man. The Benjamins. You got all kinds of cash going on. So we associate, right, the world... That's basically the, the primary message the world gives us. And many times it's the voice in our own head that if we've got plenty of this, we got the good life. But that's not necessarily what Jesus has to say. Let's take a look at how Jesus weighs in on this subject of money. And I just want to warn you, if, if you're here for the first time today, or maybe it's the first time in this good life series where we've been going through the very famous Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, you need to know something. This Sermon on the Mount is controversial. It's actually pretty offensive, especially if you're not a church person. Some of the things that Jesus says here, you know, we think peace, love, and Prozac Jesus, okay? A lot of us, like, we just, that's kind of what we want our mental image to be of Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, there's some crazy stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Just a review in case you, you, you haven't been here for the series. Jesus basically starts out right off the bat going, you know what? You want to know what it's all about? You got to be perfect. You think it's all about not killing somebody? You think it's all about not committing adultery? Actually, I tell you this. If you've looked lustfully at another person, if you have been angry with somebody, it's as good as doing the worst sins out there. How do you like that? That's good stuff, right? Very warm and fuzzy, empowering. He says, you know what? If an evil person does something to you, not only do you not get to retaliate, it's even worse than that. You are called to bless them. You're supposed to do something wonderful for that evil person. Is that messed up or what? We talked about how our identity as Christians is to be salt and light. It's to constantly have a posture of serving and blessing this world. That is our function. That is our purpose. And then the last time we got together, two weeks ago, we talked about, Jesus said, listen, if you've done any good thing, any good thing, and you've done it so that someone else would see you, so you get some applause from somebody else. You remember some applause, applause, applause for those of you who are here, right? Lady Gaga was here at church two weeks ago. It was amazing. If you're living for that applause, applause, then guess what? That's all the applause you're getting. God's like, okay, you got enough. So he's saying all this stuff. I mean, it's pretty offensive, really. Some of us are just a little too familiar with it. We're a little numb to it. So with that in mind, here's what Jesus has to say about money. So just brace yourself, okay? We pick it up in Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, great word, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, that, the word store up in the original Greek, that has to do with stockpiling, you know, stockpiling for yourself. Say, Don't stockpile all this wealth for yourself here on earth, but what? But do that in heaven. Store it up in heaven. Now, I just want to take a time out for a second because 
I can actually feel the blood pressure like rising in the room. Many of you are like, okay, great. This is the money sermon. I knew there was something about this church, okay? Like they call themselves a church for people who don't go to church and they never really talk about money. It's the weirdest thing. And they don't even, they don't even do an offering. They don't even pass an offering to me. They just have this little black boxes in the back and they, they're never mentioning anything about it. And I've been coming for a while and I was wondering, what is the deal? Aha, I knew it. Here's the gotcha Sunday, you know, now, now, and, and you're like conscious of your wallet. You can feel it, guys. You can feel your wallet right now. And you're thinking, okay, I know where this is going. This is not going to end well. For, for some of you, you're reminded of uh, that, that story of the, the old preacher out in the country, the country church. And um, he, he comes in one Sunday and he says, okay, everybody, before the sermon, I just want to let you know, I got an update about our, uh, our deteriorating roof situation. So it's, it's kind of bad news, good news, bad news. He says, let me give you the bad news. The bad news is the entire roof on the entire building is going to need to be completely replaced. And everyone's like, <gasps> he says, but that's okay. I got good news. I got good news. We have enough money to cover the entire thing. Everyone's like, woo, you know, everybody's, oh, that's awesome. And you're high-fiving each other. And he says, but, but, but just want to let you know, the bad news is that money's still in your pockets. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, this is Grace's new roof Sunday. You know, this is the new roof campaign. Listen, I just want to I got to try to put you at ease here, okay? And some of you won't believe me and your blood pressure is going to stay high through the entire service. But I want to tell you that this is not some sort of a campaign for, for this church. This actually has nothing to do with, um, with giving to this church. There's not going to be some big pitch or some big appeal. Uh, hopefully there's nothing that I'm doing and intending to make anybody feel guilty in here. It has nothing to do with that at all. What, what I want you to hear, okay? Just, just trust me, if you will is all I want you to do today is to try and listen to what Jesus is saying to you in regards to how you view money, okay? Can we do that? Can we agree on that? Okay, so Jesus is saying that we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven. So here's the question. What does that look like? Like, how do you do that? Is that like where Jesus... uh, was talking to the rich man in, in the scriptures, if you've heard this story, where the rich man says, Jesus, what, what, what should I do? And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to give it all away, and I want you to come follow me. Is that what it looks like to store up treasures in heaven? Is, is storing up treasures in heaven, does that mean that we're supposed to move to some third world country and live a life of poverty for Jesus for the rest of our lives? Does it mean we're supposed to be the next Mother Teresa? What exactly does it look like to store up treasures in heaven. Well, if you ever um, get confused about Jesus' teachings or you're, you know, you're reading something and you're, and you're trying to figure it out, I want to just let you know what's really cool about how the Bible is broken down, or at least the way that Christianity would, uh, would tell you that, that this, this Bible here works, kind of in three parts. So the middle part is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this middle part here is basically these gospels are the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all his teachings and all that good stuff. So that's really like the centerpiece of the Bible and the Christian faith. Everything points to Jesus. So then you've got the entire Old Testament or um, what our Jewish friends would call the Hebrew scriptures. And all of these, according to Christianity, basically point the way 
to Jesus. They are, are God's people who are looking forward, anticipating a savior, someone who is going to come and is going to rescue us from our condition. And so the entire Old Testament, according to Christianity, is basically these predictions, these prophecies that point the way to Jesus. And then you have in the back section of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, is all these letters and accounts and reports from the, the early followers of Jesus who are basically, they're just trying to figure out how do we live out what Jesus taught? How do we live out this life? How do we, how, how, what, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so this is the really cool thing because so many of these letters, it's basically just taking, you, you see someone writing about Jesus teaching and then just saying, here's how it applies in our context today. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at an excerpt from one of these letters written by a guy named Paul, the apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with him, he is arguably the greatest Christian that ever lived, started churches all around the Mediterranean rim, wrote much of the New Testament, absolutely brilliant theologian. And he's writing to a rising young leader named Timothy. And he's giving Timothy instructions because Timothy is now leading some other Christians and some other churches. And so he's given Timothy all sorts of instructions in his letter that he writes to Timothy, which is brilliantly named 1 Timothy. It's his first letter to Timothy, okay? So he's going through a whole bunch of different things and he gets into the sixth chapter and the conversation turns to money. We pick it up in verse 17. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, pause. Now, when you see the words, those who are rich, maybe the images in your mind that you're flashing to are some of the ones we saw just a minute ago. You're like, oh yeah, I know those, those people, those rich people. Yeah, this must be who he's talking about here. This is who this applies to. If those or maybe some other pictures similar are kind of the mental uh, models that you have in your mind, let me just give you a couple other ones to recalibrate our thinking here. Very few of us in this room would say that we are rich. But the truth is, we absolutely are. Every single one of us. The country we live in, we have access to indoor plumbing and air conditioning and heating and modern transportation. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we don't necessarily feel like we're rich, but the truth today that we all need to remind ourselves of is that we are so rich. We are. We are rich. So when Paul writes these words, he's actually speaking to every one of us in this room, myself included, okay? He's talking to us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, that's you and me, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, here we go, verse 18, okay? Tune in with me right here, because here's where we get practical on what it means to store up treasures in heaven when it comes to money. He says, command them, that's us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Okay, there's the practical instruction. In this way, 
They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see, he's referencing back to Jesus teaching about storing up treasures in heaven. He's saying, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we say, how do we, how do we store up treasures in heaven? What does that look like, practically speaking? Well, here it is. We do good, we're rich in good deeds, we're generous, and we are willing to share. And the deal is that if we do those things, if that is our posture, if that is our mentality, then what we're told is that we will take hold of the life that is truly life. You know what's fascinating about this? This was written 2,000 years ago. And if you look at all the research today, you look at psychology, you look at uh, neuroscience in terms of like, what's making people happy? What, what is it? How, how, who are the most satisfied people? You know, it's not the people who are the richest. It's not, not at all. It's the people who are the most generous. It's the people who are the most giving, who are willing to give of their time and who are willing to give of their treasure. So, you know, I don't know what you believe about this right here, okay? Whether or not you believe that this is inspired by God given to us or, or whether you, you believe something else, you have to admit that there's some brilliant stuff in here that was written 2,000 years ago and is proven today in 2015. And you're not going to hear this message very, you know, anywhere else, really. But it's, it's all about giving it away. It's brilliant stuff. So here's the, the question for you. Are you more interested in getting rich or being rich? Now, we all know the answer, but I want you to think a little more deeply about our assumptions, about the way we see things, about the way we make decisions. Are you more interested in getting rich or being rich in good deeds? We all want to be generous, you know, and, and this is an incredibly generous church. So, you know, maybe, maybe just the message today is just th- th- Jesus is saying, this is where it's at. Stay generous. Make sure you're always willing to share and be generous and be rich in good deeds. Because this is how we take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the good life. Jesus presses on. And um, I got to tell you, it gets a little bit more controversial. Um, Matthew 6, 24, he's, he's continuing his teaching about money. And he says, no one can serve two masters. He's he, polarizing here. He makes some extreme statements. He says, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, I don't know if anybody else is recoiling right now, like I recoiled the first time that I read this statement. But what, what, the question that goes in, off in my mind is this. Wait, hold on a second. Is, wait, is Jesus, is he saying that I can't love God and also enjoy having a little bit of savings for retirement? Is, is Jesus really saying that I can't love God and make sure that I have like an emergency fund and I've got some savings so that if anything happens, like I'm being fiscally responsible? Is, is that really what Jesus is saying? No, it's absolutely not what Jesus is saying. But the point that Jesus is making here is that ultimately when it comes to our money 
And when it comes to the way we live our life, there's only one winner when it comes to money and God. There's only, there's only one that gets to make the final call on a decision when it comes to the way that we handle finances, the way we make decisions. So let me give you an example. So there are some of you in this room right now, and there is a particular cause that moves you. There's something out there, and every time you see a news report, every time you hear something about it, um, it, it, it's just one of those things that it compels you. And maybe you, you give to that cause or that thing already, or maybe you don't, uh, or, or maybe you do and you want to give a little bit more to that thing, but there's something, and you just know like that's your deal. That's one of those things that you get fired up about in this life. And it's one of those things that like, you don't really, I mean, you probably prayed about it in the past, but it's not even something you need to pray about right now because you know, you already know that this is something that God has fired you up about. And it's something that deep down in your heart of hearts, you're like, oh man, I just, I know, and I, I could do more and I should, but I just don't know. Because here's what happens. You got on the one side, you got what you, you just feel like, oh man, I got to do this thing. I feel like God's saying, yes, you should, you should make this happen. But then on the other side, you got this guy, his name's Ben, an old Ben. He's over here on the other side. So you kind of got God in your heart over here. You're nudging you one way. And then you got old Ben and Ben is like, hey man, you know, that thing over there, that's awesome. Like that's super cool. And I'm glad you're fired up about that. But old Ben, he's sitting there on your shoulder. And he's like, but listen, man, that's going to make things tight around here. Okay. I mean, that's going to put the squeeze on us. I mean, you need to really think about what you're doing because, um, you know, we got, we got something planned coming up. I mean, that, that's actually going to require you to sacrifice some things. So old Ben's like, you know, we just want to be smart about this. Let's really think this through. And what Jesus is saying is that ultimately in these deals, there's only one that gets to make the final call. It's either God or it's old Ben. Now, I want us to look back at... Um, that first verse we looked at that we read from, from Timothy's letter or from Paul's letter to Timothy. Because it's really good. He says, Command those who are rich, that's us, okay, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So here Paul's getting at this deal. And basically what Paul is reminding us here is where we need to put our hope. Because here's the deal. See old Ben right here? He doesn't care about us. He really doesn't. Okay, no offense if you're a big Ben Franklin fan, all right? He doesn't, but he doesn't care about us. And the reminder is, if we place our hope here, it's shaky ground. You guys remember 2008, a little stock market, a little issue we had? I mean, it is so uncertain. And if our hope is here, we're not going to take hold of that life that's truly life. Ultimately, what Paul is imploring us to remember about what Jesus taught is that ultimately we're to put our hope in the one who richly provides for us, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who's responsible for every good thing in our lives. That is where we are to put 
our hope. And I just want to say something too. I, I want to just remind you guys of something. See, if you're, if you're kind of hearing this and you're processing and you're going, okay, I, I, I get where this is going. And ultimately you're thinking that really this is just, okay, this is a command that we have to follow. We're, we're told that we're supposed to um, be, be rich in good deeds. We're supposed to be generous with our money. Um, and you're like, okay, I got it. I just, I, just need to, I just need to do that. That's just something I'm supposed to do. Okay, then, then um, I think you're going to be setting yourself up for a really tough road. The reality is this. The reason that we are to be rich in good deeds, the reason that we are to be generous is because there is a God who loves us, who has been so incredibly generous to us, who has been so rich to us and has shared everything with us. And see, the reality is, okay, if you're here and you're just like, oh man, this is something I should do, if you're starting to feel some guilt, okay, then you just, that's not the right motivation for going and, and being generous. Ultimately, it is in response to the radical generosity and the goodness of God. And it is when we put our hope there that as, as just a, an expression of a response to God, that's ultimately why we are rich in good deeds. Now, if you're here today, and um, you've heard all this, you're like, that's yeah, cool, you know, hope in God and over hope and money and all that stuff. But you're like, hey, but here's the thing, man, like, I don't even know what I believe about God. I mean, this is supposed to be a church, people who don't go to church. And like, there's no way that, that, you know, I've got more hope in God than money. I don't even know what I think about God. Well, I just want to let you know that I am so glad that you're here and you are absolutely in the right place. Because this is a church where you are free to just wrestle with all kinds of stuff like this. And um, so we're honored that you're here with us. And maybe the takeaway for you, because you're not going to leave going, okay, cool, my hope is all in God. Okay, that's totally unrealistic for you. So maybe the, the takeaway for you is simply this. Is there something beyond money that we should hope in? Is there something beyond old Ben who actually doesn't give a rip about you and is so uncertain that we should hope in in this life. It was funny. Um, I connected with my five-year-old daughter. She's a kindergartner uh, after the service, and I was talking to somebody downstairs about the message and hoping in God and money. And after I finished my conversation, she, she goes, Dad, and, and I kneeled down, and, I, and she whispers in my ear. She says, Dad, you know that whole hope in God and money thing? She says, I know which one I would pick. I would pick hope in God because then God can just give you the money anyway. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, but just, just in case, just in case, for whatever reason, you, you drifted off for a minute, okay? I'm going to give you the entire bottom line for this sermon right now in, in two sentences, okay? So, so tune back in and you'll get credit for the whole thing. <laughs> the good life that we all want it's not in getting rich. The good life is being rich in good deeds. It's by being generous and being willing to share. That is where we find the good life. So, are you experiencing the good life? That's the question I want you to wrestle with today as you slide out of here, driving along in that nice slick we've got. And where ultimately is your hope?
is your hope grounded where it needs to be? So um, what I want to do is I want to pray for us and kind of close out this portion of the service. But if you've noticed, uh, we've got quite a bit of time before the service ends, and we're not done. I just want to shift gears, so we're going to kind of shut down the whole money conversation, and then I want to move into something, how we're going to close the service out. So would you pray with me? Um, God, we just want to say thank you for how you challenge us. Lord, pretty much everything I hear in the world, and, and a lot of times the voices in my head say that money is equal to the good life. Thanks for the reminder that it's not about getting rich, but it's about being rich. And I pray, God, for those in this room who right now are really wrestling with what that means for them. And I just pray, God, you'd not only speak to them, but you'd also give them the courage to, uh, to put their hope in you and, um, and to follow you wherever you lead them and whatever you're saying to them. But just help all of us. Um, we want to take hold of the life that is truly life that you've given to us. So give us the courage to do that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so um, we got about 15 minutes left in the service, and um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to shift gears entirely. We're not going to talk about money anymore. So if you were sweating bullets for like that entire time, like you're, you're done, man. You're, you're good, okay? So just like, you know, pass out or whatever because you made it, all right? Jesus talked about storing up treasures in heaven, and in the text we just looked at, it was all around money. But in many other places, Jesus taught about storing up treasures in heaven. It, it was actually, he talked in a broader sense about other things we, we would do too. The, the actions we would take, the way we serve, the way we spend our time. And that's really where I want us to, to, uh, to land the, the, the end of this service today, is I actually want to um, give you all an opportunity to store up some treasures in heaven, so to speak, by giving you an opportunity to, uh, to jump in and serve right here at Grace. Um, you, in your bulletin, you got a, a handout, and it says, where's your treasure? It's right, right in there. I want you to pull it out for a second. It's a little treasure map, and, and on the back, it has a whole different list of, of service teams here at Grace. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story about why this ultimately matters, why, why uh, you should jump in and get involved here at Grace. And what I want you to do is I want you to use that little treasure map and I want you to look at that list of teams and just find one on there. If you happen to get fired up here in the next few minutes that you might be willing to sign up and, and uh, be a part of. So let me just tell you a little story and then I'm gonna um, dismiss you out to, um, to, to Treasure Island back there. We've kind of converted the school and we've had a lot of fun doing it. So um, it was about um, it was 2001, 14 years ago. Becky and I moved to D.C., and we moved here because we wanted to save the world. That was kind of our motivation. We said, this is the nonprofit capital of the world. Let's, let's move here, and let's make a difference in the world. And so we did that. And I uh, worked for an organization called the Coalition for Residential Education. It's boarding schools, children's homes um, for disadvantaged uh, children, children who've been abused, neglected, horrific uh, situations that they've experienced in their life. And um, it's this whole national network of programs all across the United States. And um, I, I just, I can't tell you what an amazing privilege it was to be a part of that whole deal. Um, and I would get to travel around to these different programs, and I would get to meet 
all these kids and, and hear their story. And, and the administrators and the house parents would say, you would, never even, you would have never recognized this little kid uh, a year ago when he first came to us. And I would hear these stories and I'd meet these kids and basically the stories in some variation were all the same. It was kids who were completely like failing out of their school because they were just bouncing around from home to home or placement to placement. And their behavior was absolutely atrocious. Um, and, and they were just a complete train wreck. I mean, many of the schools just, they were just like, we didn't know what to do with these kids. But they would come into these programs, these residential education programs, where they would have a stable, loving environment. And they would have people who came around them who really loved and cared for them. And um, what would happen was th- their whole life would just begin to turn around. They would begin to turn things around academically. They would begin to turn things around behaviorally. Um, they would, would be able to make peace with a lot of the things in their past. And ultimately, um, this was the craziest thing about, about these programs. Um, and if you, if you look at high school graduation rates today, just as a national average, um, this is going to blow your mind. So this is, this is the, the most uh, challenging group of kids just in terms of their own background. It's not their fault, but it's just their background, right? 88% of them weren't just, weren't just graduating from these programs, graduating high school. 88% of them were going on to college. 88%. It was crazy. And so I would get to meet these kids, and I would meet the graduates. And, um, and, and they would be, like, holding down jobs and getting married. And, like, they'd be like, I thought I was going to be homeless. I thought I was going to be, um, you know, in jail. And, and here I am. I, 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 they were just in disbelief. And you guys, I never tired of hearing those stories because they were so cool. But as cool as those stories were, there were actually stories that dwarfed those. And the stories that were even cooler came from the programs that were Christian-run programs. They were started by churches. They were started by ministers. About two-thirds of the the residential education programs are actually... um, faith-based or Christian programs. And in these programs, the stories, while similar, were very different. Because while these children would, would make turnarounds in their lives, the X factor, the thing that was so powerful, was that these children would say, you know what, but you know what the, the, this is the best part for me? is I never knew that my life mattered. I never knew that anybody really cared about me. And now I know that there is a God who loves me. And that he has a plan for me. And, and even though all these horrific things happen to me, that, that there is a God who walked with me through all that and grieved with me as I experienced those things and gives me strength today and tells me that I matter. And when you look a 16-year-old in the eyes and they're telling you, this girl named Dana, I never forget it, down in a program down in Texas, she said, Derek, she said, now that I know God's love, for the first time I've been able to forgive my parents for what they did to me. You see, when you bring God into the equation, there is something timeless that's involved. There's something that can never be taken away. So here's the, here's the reality. 
So these kids, they turn their grades around, they turn their behavior around, they go on, they go to college, they get a degree, they get a job, they get married, and it's awesome. But you know, all those things, all those things can crumble, right? Marriages can fail. The degree from that institution, all of a sudden it's not worth as much. Now you got to go get another degree. You can, you can find yourself in terrible situations and circumstances. But ultimately, what the church has, and don't miss this, what the church has is something that transcends our circumstances. It is a message of love and of hope and of peace and of joy that is available to us no matter where we go, no matter what we do. And as I heard story after story after story about what God was doing in people's lives, I said, you know what? I'm hooked. I'm in. I, I, this is all I want to do with my life, you guys. And I said, where can I do this 100% of my time? And at that time, I was, I was attending Grace Community Church, you know, sitting in one of these seats, just like you guys are. And after about a year of that and starting to get involved, man, like I got the chance to sign up to come on staff. And it has been the greatest thrill ever. Because here's the thing, okay? I've been out in the business world. I've done that for a while. I've been in nonprofit um, and, and now I've worked for the church. And you guys, there are some amazing things that we can put our time to, right? I mean, there's some amazing things out there. But a lot of the things, if we take like the hundred year view, they're eventually gonna rust or rot or depreciate, right? I mean, they're great and they have value and we need to do them. But ultimately, ultimately, the church carries the message that is the hope of the world that transcends our circumstances and our situations. And I just want to tell you, there is nothing like seeing God change a life. And many of you know this because you've experienced it firsthand. Your life has been changed. And so basically what I want to invite you into is the same thing that 11 years ago I said, sign me up. I want to give you a chance to sign up today. See, here's the reality. The church isn't about one person standing up on this stage giving a message. Oh, if you think that's what it's about, you are, you've totally missed it. Every single Sunday, there's about 150 volunteers and staff that all together, all working together, from the first sign you see when you make the turn, the first parking attendant that you see, to all the army of people that are down in Graceland, to the team that's up here, and every, every volunteer, the last breakdown person that rolls the last case back into the closet. We are all working together to help people to understand that there is a God who loves you and can absolutely transcend anything that's happening in your life and bring you the good life. So here's how we're going to close the service down this morning because um, we, we're about five minutes early. So what I want to let you know is when you walk out of here, the service has not ended today. It, it was, is not ending when we walk through those doors but the service is going to extend through the lobby and down the hall. Because down the hall, we've got, we've got you can check your treasure map, but we basically got a little path, okay? And we've got this whole theme, and you'll see this crazy pirate lady as you, as you walk into the lobby. And basically, there's a bunch of tables out, out there, and there's all these teams that are listed uh, on that piece of paper that I hope you're putting your eyes on right now, okay? 
And here's the deal. Every single, every single team plays a role. Every single team plays a role in people coming to understand how much God loves them. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at this list. If you are not already serving on a team, this is, this is so cool, you guys. Find one. Don't overthink this, okay? If you're an indecisive person, don't overthink this, okay? Just pick a team. The first one that, that hits you, the first one that you notice, just, just pick that team, go find it, and go sign up. Meet the leader. It's about a, it can be as little as a once, once a month commitment. It's not a big deal, okay? If you absolutely hate it, I promise you we're not going to hunt you down and make you stay on the team, okay? I promise you. It's a very easy. Just say, hey, it wasn't for me, and it's totally cool, man. We're Grace Community Church, so we give you a lot of grace. Um, but just find a team, sign up for that team, and then you get to head downstairs. We've got a little VIP area. Where's, my, where's that banana, man? Come on. And um, we've got all sorts of goodies. We've even got pirate-themed bananas. This has got a little pirate uh, patch on there. I'm telling you, here, take a look. Somebody catch it. Okay, so... Um, so you go down there, and we got all sorts of goodies, which we treat our volunteers to every single Sunday um, here at Grace. And so you go down there. I'm going to be down there. we got a little walk the plank, so you can take a step of faith and uh, walk that plank. And um, so we've got, we've got about five minutes here. Um, so what I'm going to have you do is, uh, if you would, could you humor me and just jump in and be a part of the action? As cool as it is to sit in a seat, it is so much better to actually feel like you are truly a part of what is happening here through serving. So if you, everybody could stand up for me. Everybody stand up on your feet. And I want, I want us all just to charge out of here and to find somewhere where we can be a part of what God is doing here, okay? God bless you guys. Have a great week. Just head right on out those doors through the lobby, and I'll see you downstairs. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.